harmony in the home. Okay. A wedding is one thing. And a marriage is something entirely different. And that's why sometimes young couples uh, kind of look at me funny when they're all like planning their wedding and I try to get with them and they're all, you know, and I said, the things are going to get stressful and all this. And I said, but, you know, if you make it through the wedding, then you've got to deal with a marriage. And, and you know, you want to put all of your effort and all your planning and all your thought into the wedding and you forget to prepare for the marriage that lasts hopefully the rest of your life, okay? So, uh, wow, you know, what a difference just a few months or a few years can make, Right? Huh? Okay, you guys are going to be very stoic this morning. I can take it. That's all right. Um, Now, disclaimer, I don't have all this stuff down, okay, and uh, do all of it right all the time. And I was talking to Clarissa beforehand. I said, you know, what I'm talking about today, don't don't think I think I've got this, don't want to make people think. She goes, you don't have to do a disclaimer because I know you ain't got it down. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) just be honest. Let's just be real, okay? Let's just be real. This is tough stuff. Uh, but uh, we soon learned that a marriage license is really just a learner's permit, right? That's what it is. There are constants, constant ups and downs, good times and bad times. You know, I've thought a lot of times in the vows we say for better or worse. We should just go ahead and say for better and worse because there's going to be both of them. Amen. Okay, you're still hesitant. That's good. Uh, You find out life is not like just a fairy tale. Fairies aren't real. They're fake. And the tales that they tell are fake as well. I just made that up. Did somebody write that down? I just did. I just, I don't know. Uh, I was originally just going to say life's not a fairy tale where you end up just living, living happily ever after. You don't just ride off into the sunset. I mean, say you do ride off into the sunset. What happens next? Well, it gets dark and the horse bucks you off, probably, right? So, see, that's, that, we're just not thinking it through. An old Arab proverb says that marriage begins with a prince kissing an angel, and ends up with a bald-headed man looking across the table at a fat old lady. I didn't make that up. That's Arab proverb, okay? Yeah, okay. So we need to hear and we need to understand the Word of God in light, and we need to understand what he's saying. We need to hear what he's saying. And we also, are you with me? We need to understand it in the impact that it had uh, to its first readers, Because I think it's really hard for us today in our crazy world, in our world of social media and all this stuff going on. It's really hard for us to fully understand the radical, the radical and countercultural influence that this teaching had at that time when it was first inspired of God to be written down. The teaching concerning the value of women, for instance. A lot of people want to read this and think, ah, so you're going to use that to take advantage of women. No, you got to understand when this was written, uh, this teaching was revolutionary uh, in many areas of the world concerning the value of women and their treatment and the importance of the husband's responsibility to her and to the home. It was radical in their culture because it was the church. It It was the early Christians. It was the apostles. It was the gospel teaching that taught that women were to be honored and valued and treasured and treated like equals in the kingdom of God. 
That was not a part of any culture hardly at that time. This was radical stuff. So, main thought. Let's get it down so we know where we're going. And by the way, here's what I want to do. We're going to have a gathering tonight. Okay? It's the first Sunday of the month. So we're tonight. We're going to meet at 6 o'clock. But what I want to do is I want to come back in. We've got a small group study that actually kind of matches up with what we're doing. And we're going to hear about 10 minutes from Kyle Eidelman. And then we're going to have a little bit of discussion. We're going to keep it real simple and not very long and things like that. But I want to I challenge you to come back tonight so we can absorb a little bit more of this, hear a little bit more insight, and just fellowship just a little bit, okay? Just, just, just tonight, okay? Can we do that? Six o'clock, be there. All right, so main idea that we want to get down is this, is that as the people of God, this is one of the ways we're a testimony, we display the good news of the gospel in marriage through lives of submission and understanding. That's one of the main thoughts that we want to kind of soak in. Because here's what, here's what we need to know. Can I lay a little background quickly? Will you let me do that? Okay, you're not going to stop me, I guess, so I'll go ahead. Uh, during the time of the Roman Empire, that's when this was written. We've talked about that nearly every week, right? The Roman Empire. Nero is the emperor. Roman Empire is really, you know, conquering the world. Um, they're ruling the world, and there was the Roman peace, right? The Pax Romana, which actually was because they ruled it with an iron fist. But B, the thing about it is, is if you study history, you find out that during this time in the Roman Empire, women were treated like property. It would be like anything you owned. Okay? But before they were married, a female was the property of her father. After marriage, she was the property of her husband. And even those who were freeborn citizens of the Roman Empire could not vote, could not hold office. They were often mistreated and abused. And guess what? If they were, they really had no recourse. They had no rights if they were abused, if they were molested, if they were divorced. Nothing. If a Roman husband divorced his wife, he put her away. She couldn't contest it, and he got everything, including the kids, right? I know it's not that way now. Um, talking about Christmas coming on, they said they've got several new items. And, like, you think about, you know, we're not, our, our kids grew up in the Barbie world, you know, and they had a just married Barbie and all of that. And, and they said that they've got a just divorced Barbie now. And actually, it's Barbie, but she comes in a box with all of Ken's stuff. Okay, I'm just kidding. I just made that up. I probably shouldn't have put that in there. But so it's a lot different today than it was back then. I'm getting some smiles and some frowns both right now. I tell you, it's funny. Uh, But what I'm saying is times were different. Women had no way to defend themselves, protect themselves. They were treated uh, like property and used and abused. As a rule, men totally dominated, used, and mistreated women. One other thing you need to know about the Roman Empire, if they got pregnant and the man did not want the child, not simply because the child was, uh, was sickly or malformed, or sometimes if it was a female instead of a male, they had this practice called exposure. See, we've got the issue of abortion where we go after the baby and take its life in the womb. Uh, they didn't quite do it that way, but in the Roman Empire, it was a very well, uh, broad, broadly done thing that they would take a newborn baby and leave it in the woods or in the wilderness 
and it died of exposure. It was called exposure, and it happened all through the culture. Uh, this was something that is appalling that was done in those days. So a lot of times that would happen. They would leave them out there, and they would soon die uh, for neglect. Uh, wild animals, who knows? There were some weird beliefs and things still attached to some of that, but that was a very, very, very common practice that happened. Well, guess what? It was the church who was appalled by that, and the early teaching is that this is wrong because they understood Scripture that all human beings are created equal in the sight of God and all are in the image of God and all have value. It was early Christians who started coming along behind and finding places where babies were exposed and abandoned and would get them and take them into their own homes and that's kind of the beginning of some of the orphanages, right? In those days, if a woman was set aside by her husband, she had no, if her family didn't take care of her, she had nobody. Sometimes if a woman was widowed and she didn't marry another man, she would have nothing if her kids didn't take care of her. It was the early church who started finding ways to come along behind and take these people in and say, we'll love you and we'll take care of you because you're valuable to God. So you see people who were treated like less than human and women who were treated like often less than human and like property were valued by the early church. This was radical stuff. It was so different than anything that was going on in culture. So remember also that in the context here that the topic is about living within... Are, are you remembering this? Remember the persecution that's starting to happen and suffering and things like that? Remember that from last week, any of you? So the context here is still within that uh, topic about living within situations of life that are unfair and guess what? Sometimes unbearable. That might describe a lot of marriages under the sound of uh, maybe my voice or not, or who knows who's listening, right? Right, who knows who's listening? Unfair and unbearable. And it's interesting that in the context of being treated in unfair and sometimes unbearable ways that he brings in the topic of marriage. Yeah, I'm just saying and he says, likewise. Caught that? Likewise, meaning that connecting to what he said about the way we are subject to human institutions, the way we are subject to our bosses and those in authority, and the way Christ voluntarily subjected himself and submitted to do the Father's will and bore our sins in his body on the tree, verse 24, chapter 2, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds we're healed. We sing about that this morning. Just like that, likewise. In the same way that Christ submitted to do the Father's will, though he's co-equal, though he's co-eternal with the Father, and suffered for your salvation. Likewise, in that same way, he begins to talk about the wife's behavior. The wife's behavior. Okay, if you could advance me there, Jeff. Uh, the wife's behavior. It's in the context of this passage then. Also, as I said, refers us back to verse 13 of chapter 2 about subject to every human institution. And also verse 18 about servants being subject to your masters. He talks about this whole thing of being subject, about submission. And so when he says, wives, be subject to your own husbands, this right here has a very negative taste in our mouth in our, and a very negative ring in our ears, right? We just like, ugh. Uh, but we're not understanding it in the context of the situation of what they were in in those days. Uh, it's very misunderstood in our culture. You want to know why? It is not an issue of equality. 
at all. It is an issue of roles, relationships, and responsibilities. Now, whether you're a secular humanist, you believe in a secular humanist, believe in humanistic evolution, or whether you believe the Bible, you pretty much look at the evidence and you have to say, God created males and females differently. Or if you don't even believe in God, they are different. We have different parts. I mean, you used to didn't have to say stuff like this, but, but really, our brains work differently as a rule, right? Okay. Uh, and it is God who says, this is, not a va- this is not about value as far as equality. This is about different roles being equipped for different things and relationship and different responsibilities. That's what this is about. Because God is the one who created and designed. And this is the thing. And people are, are going through all kinds of stuff today in this culture we live in. And some people grow up, they never know anything different than just what they've been. But listen, this is why we say that this is the design we find in Scripture. That God created male and female. And that God created a man, one man. It, God's original design was for one man and one woman to share a life together. Okay? One man, one woman. Not many different women, many different, you know what I'm saying? That was God's design. Now, sin came and has wrecked everything, right? Huh? It has. It has. So we have to deal with that. Uh, and learning what God is saying is, is very helpful to us. And remember the word submit isn't a word that means that you have a right to dominate and mistreat and be boss or dictator to somebody. That is not what it's talking about. The Greek word is hupotasso. And that is translated here. And it means really to arrange underneath. And it was a military term of how that they had the different rank and file to carry out all the different responsibilities and roles that needed to be taken care of. And it's the same way in the home. It literally means to arrange in order under. It's the same word used of Jesus, how that he submitted himself to do the Father's will and to come even as a servant and die on the cross for our sins. Even though he's still co-equal with the Father. It's a mystery. It blows our mind. But it, this does not mean that uh, men are better or smarter than you. You can say amen. Come on, ladies. But it means that sometimes you do place yourself under their responsibility and authority for a greater, higher purpose. All right? So it says in verses 1 and 2... It says, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some of them do not obey the word, that's talking about the word of God. So this is written in a context to women who were married to men whose lives cut cross grain with scripture, right? You know guys like that. Don't say amen yet, okay? We're having to be careful today, aren't we? Uh, so that you're married to someone that they do not obey the word. The husband does not obey the word. That they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. That's what he's saying. And without a word, and some husbands say, boy, that would be a blessing, you know, right? Because, and, and, and that's the tendency that he knows that we have. And some women will say, you know what? I'll be the wife I should be as long as he becomes the husband he should be. This was written to wives whose husbands' lives were not being obedient to the word. They were being disobedient to the word. 
And now, you need to understand, he's not saying that in any case it's ever okay to be in a situation and put up with a situation where you're being smacked around and abused uh, and, and treated like that. If that's the situation, you need to get out. You need to get help. All right? That's not what he's talking about here. But the tendency... For the woman, instead of having a meek and quiet spirit like he talks about, uh, the tendency is to substitute manipulation. I'll never forget one time there was a lady, did not years and years ago, so it's impossible to figure out who this was, uh, that, that was after me, didn't, had only visited church a time or two. You got to talk to my husband, you got to talk to my husband. He's a sorry wreck. He's a drunk half the time and all of this. He treats us terrible. Even when he's sober, he's not that great. And so I'm in my 20s, you know, and I really start trying to talk to this guy. And I found out he, you know, it wasn't all him, okay? And, uh, and then I try to start, and you know, and, and talking back with her, I finally realized she wasn't that interested in his relationship with God. She wasn't really interested in his soul, whether he went to heaven or hell. She just wanted him to be what she wanted, be something that made just life better for her. And she wasn't that really concerned about him. Uh, and as things began to happen in his life and he changed, she actually didn't like it. Because he became, you know, more of a leader. And, a, and she just, yeah, wait a minute. I just want him to just let me do what I want to do and quit hassling me. Right? So sometimes, you know, we, we resort to manipulation instead of a quiet spirit. But he says it's by the actions and obedience to the Lord as they see how you go in and out of situations. Not how you just are like a doormat or anything like that. But they see how that the word of God is alive in you and living through you. It is a more powerful witness than you, okay, nagging at. Right? It is. I never really knew of a husband that came to the Lord as a result of the wife nagging at him. If anything, they just resist even more. And God's telling us that, you know, this is the way that, that you really speak the loudest. And by the way, says that it is by your actions and obedience to the Lord, and as you hang in there with that, I mean, you want it to happen like right now. It may not. But in time, that this is the best way that the, the wife, uh, to live, that the wife can live, that the husband may be won, it says. Or that means gained. That means gained to the kingdom of God so that God begins to change his life. Because uh, the husband, you know, it's like they want to go around saying, well, I'm the head of this house, you know, and things like that. You realize in the Bible, and we can turn to Ephesians chapter 5 where he talks about that. And what guy hasn't said that? At some time or another that we need to remind, you know, there's times I would just like to remind you, you know, I am the head of this house. Usually I figured out if you go around barking like, I'm the head of this house. Usually if you have to keep reminding everybody of that, you're probably not. Right? Right? But headship literally means that you're responsible. It doesn't mean you're boss. It doesn't mean you're the dictator. It means God, when he calls you that, he says, I'm holding you responsible, men, for your home. The direction of the home. The decisions of the home. Wives, that's good news because I want you to know that biblically speaking, God does not hold you responsible for your husband's stubborn and idiotic decisions. Even though you have to live with them and they do impact you, God's not holding you responsible for the decisions, the direction of the home. God holds the husband responsible. That's what it means. You are actually responsible for yourself. In your own relationship with the Lord. And it is through that relationship that it really speaks loudly to him. You can't make him into something that he's not. Only God can do that. Amen? 
It's your job to love your husband, it's been said. It's God's job to make him good. You can't make him good. Right? So this is the behavior that he's talking about uh, with the women. And then he talks about her beauty. Uh, don't let your adornment be just exclusively outward. Real beauty, what he's saying, it's on the inside, women. And, you know, we live in a culture and in a world today and with television and with advertising. It tries to set a standard that is unrealistic for pretty much all women. It really does. Don't measure yourself by that. Don't measure yourself by Hollywood. Now, <clears throat> that doesn't mean that you're extra spiritual if you let yourself go. Okay? <laughs> I don't think I'm reading in. I, 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 think, I think as you look at the balance of Scripture, you find God. Well, think he's going to use Sarah as an example. Sarah was an elderly lady in her 80s, in her 90s. And Abraham was always worried about somebody trying to come take her away because she is so beautiful, right? I imagine if she looked like, a, as someone said, a bale of hay shot out of a cannon. If she looked like that, I don't think that Pharaoh or Abimelech would have been that interested been saying, oh boy, Abraham, whoo, you know. Uh, but instead, Abraham was constantly worried somebody wanted to steal her away. It's because she's beautiful. Um, so, uh, yeah, take care of yourself. It should be important. And really, you should want to be attractive for your man. But don't forget, it's what's on the inside that's most important, right? Because you've met people before, male or female, that you thought were very attractive, very handsome, very beautiful. But once you're around them, they were not anything close to being attractive or beautiful. Okay? It's what's on the inside. Now, he says, uh, it's, not, it's not that uh, you don't adorn yourself at all. All right, here's the verses again. Verse 3, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of clothing. He's not just talking, in looking at all of Scripture, it's not that you, uh, and, and who didn't grow up, I mean, there may be some who grew up in a very legalistic church, and man, they're just preaching away and say, uh, you know, don't let your adorning be the braiding of hair. See there, you shouldn't braid hair, women. Or, or the wearing of gold or, or jewelry. See there, you shouldn't wear jewelry. Or the putting on of clothes. See there, you shouldn't wear clothes. Shouldn't wear clothes. <laughs> But real beauty is not the hair. It's not the jewelry. It's not the clothing. It doesn't mean you can't have it. That's not where it's at. You can have all of that. Right? And still be ugly where it counts. You know the old saying, don't you? Beauty is only skin deep, but ugly goes to the bone, right? <laughs> beauty fades, but ugly holds its own. <laughs> See? Whew. Okay, yes. So we have to finish that and realize that, that that's not what he's saying. The emphasis is on developing the inside, uh, the spiritual part of you. It's not what we see outwardly. He says, let the adorning be the hidden person of the heart. That's the real you inside with the imperishable beauty. See, that's beauty that never fades. It only gets sweeter. And it doesn't fade throughout eternity. It is imperishable. That's where you want to really focus on adorning yourself. And when you have that beauty, I'm going to tell you something. You can't ever be ugly. Imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight. Now, here's the thing. 
whether your man is smart enough to recognize it or not, he might be an idiot. But God says, I notice. And you're going to be with me forever. And in my sight, that is precious. Something precious means something of incredible value and worth. Like a diamond. God says, that's what you are. And he knows, he's aware. Uh, sometimes I just think, God, you're just not going to take care of things the way I want you to. But God is watching. And you know, that's why, you know, the whole thing of love at first sight is such a crock. It really is. I mean, you might be attracted to someone. Uh, you might, you know, at first sight. But love, real commitment and relationship develops over time as you get to know what someone's like on the inside. And girls, know this. If you are relying on outward beauty to get a man, I don't know who I'm talking to right here. I'm just going to look at, I don't know if we're live streaming or not. <laughs> but I'm just going to look right over here. That girls, if you're, if you're counting on your outward beauty and, and you being gorgeous and all sexy and all that to get you a man, know this, what you get him with is what you're going to have to keep him with. And there's a fresh crop of beauties coming along every year. And you're getting older. Okay, let's move on then. <laughs> Just, that's true, amen? Amen means it's true. It's true, okay. A meek and quiet spirit, it says there. That means a tranquil spirit. Basically saying you're like Christ. You're not trying to bulldoze your way in and, and manipulate him into being what he's supposed to be and, and doing all of that. that. That you're trusting God. Remember, this is all part of us being Christ-like. And you might say, well, that's just not the way God wired me. Well, me neither. But the Holy Spirit is there as we grow as Christians to modify, modify our personality and behavior to make everything more Christ-like. Things that need to be brought up, he brings up. Things that need to be brought down, he brings down. Remember what Jesus said? He said in Matthew chapter 11, he said uh, in verse 28 through 30, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, I am what? Gentle and lowly. And this is, this is part of the meekness and tranquility of spirit that Peter is talking about here in, in chapter 3. That God says that this right here is what is so powerful. Um, and um, God wants to develop that in your heart because it usually does not come natural. The Holy Spirit is the one who helps us and, and, and transforms us into the image of Christ. Now, a lot of times, if we're not careful, we're always just focused on the outward, aren't we? We're always worried more about how we look. And I've often thought, sometimes, well, the men aren't as bad as this, obviously, even if you look around the room here, but we worry more about what we look like on the outside before we come to church than if we're prepared on the inside. But I did stop this morning and say, does this work? And she gave me the nod. Not an enthusiastic one, but she gave me a nod. There may be a few times that it's like, no, 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 no. Uh, and I'm not, I'm not very, very good with any of that. But, but if we spent half as much time preparing our hearts as we do the outward part of us that perishes, we, we think about what God would be doing in our lives right now because we're letting him. Uh, so uh, that's the thing that has to happen. It's the value of the, of the heart. And a lot of times with our kids, we're, just, we're, we're inadvertently teaching them that the outside stuff is more important. And we miss passing on the value 
of that inner heart, that inner heart. Now, next it says how that we need to evaluate our attention. Did I skip a slide there? Um, um, wow, I guess I'm all over the place here. Hold on, hold on, because I, I had a thought. Maybe I didn't get it down like I thought. Oh, yeah, there it is. Real beauty's on the inside. That's the real you, the heart, okay? This outside is not the real you, the meek and quiet spirit. And then he goes on to say that this is the example of the great godly women of the past who were leaders. These are women who were revered. These are women who were looked up to. These are women who, though God used them to make their husbands the leaders he wanted them to be, they were the one who completed them. Abraham couldn't have been the father of the nation without Sarah, right? You could go on and on and on. That They were strong women, and they were leaders, but they set an example, and it's an example that you can follow. They trusted God. They adorned the inner person. They heeded their husband's leadership. These are all things that he's talking about in verses 5 and 6. And then when you look at verse 6, it says something that some people are like, <clears throat> and Sarah says, obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. Well, that doesn't mean she worshiped him. Lord means like a term of respect, and, and as it translates, sir, or, you know, um, just respect. She treated him respectful, okay? Now, stay with me on this. Now, the word obey literally means to hear under. The Greek word is a compound word, and it means to hear under, but that translates as it means to hearken or to heed. Literally, it means to pay close attention. Pay close attention to what to what he's doing, what he's saying. Sarah paid close attention to Abraham and God's work in their lives. That's what it means, that she's paying close attention. And so women, you need to pay close attention to see. Now, did Abraham and Sarah do everything right? See, this is the good thing here that we can apply to our lives. You know, I can think of at least one big instance when Sarah kind of pushed herself in there and took a lead and kind of talked Abraham into doing something that wasn't so good. Remember Hagar? Remember the promise kind of being delayed? And I think she really thought, God's wanting us to do something here. Nothing's happening. We got to do something. And uh, that was a time when Abraham did not show the leadership of a husband. And, you know, I mean, think about it. She, let's just be real here, can we? She brings her handmaiden in, Hagar. And Hagar evidently isn't you know, pronounced Hagar, because I don't think she was a hag. I think she was very beautiful, okay? She was from Egypt, you know, picked her up down there. And, and she says, you know, we're not having kids, so here, take Hagar as a, as a concubine, as, a, as, a, as another wife, and, and have a kid through her. And Abraham's just like, eh. <laughs> sounds like the will of God to me, <laughs> right? Come on. He should have been like, no, that's not what God said. God said it's you, but he went for it. They both got messed up there. And then, and then Abraham showed terrible leadership again when they went down to Egypt, and God's promised that through Sarah, and he's worried about losing Sarah. And he lied or told at least a little partial lie about her being his sister so Pharaoh wouldn't take her. You know, she's already in a lot of years on her by then, but he's afraid, and Pharaoh did take her. But before Pharaoh could be with her, the Lord got Pharaoh's attention, right? And he's all like, what are you doing, Abraham? You about caused all of us to die over her. He did the same. He didn't learn his lesson. He did it again with Abimelech. And so what I'm saying is even though, yeah, they made mistakes, 
There were times she made mistakes as a wife. There were a lot of times he made mistakes as a leader and a nurturer and as a husband. But God still did something amazing in their lives, right? Okay, maybe that means there's hope for me and you. Okay. I just felt like I needed to yell that. Why am I yelling? And then it says, this part I really had struggle with. That if you do that, it says in verse 5, this is how the holy women, you know, did. And then in verse 6, that like Sarah obeyed Abraham, it says if you, and you're her children, you're like her if you do good. And it says do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, here's the, don't fear, don't be afraid. And the word is phobos, don't be afraid of anything. And that word frightening is translated there, means anything alarming. Right? You don't have to live in fear because God has got your back. You don't have to live in fear. Oh, by the way, if you're living in fear because you're being bullied and punched around, then you need help and you need to get out of there. God's not saying you got to submit to that. But you don't have to be afraid of any alarm. And so women, take that. I mean, can I take that a little different direction? Take that a little more literally to the Greek because, you know, women are that way. They get alarmed. You don't have to be alarmed. I mean, we're driving along and I'm just driving there and all of a sudden uh, my wife goes, ah! And I'm like, what is it? Oh, there was a dog just about to go under that carport and uh, way over there somewhere, right? I thought we were about to get hit by a, a big truck or something. Isn't that happened a time or two? You know, do you think that? I'm not sure if that's exactly the application there, but does that not happen? And then once you have kids, there can be, in, see, men and women's brains are wired differently. They, they don't perceive distance. And, and this is on the average because there are exceptions, right? But on the average, women don't perceive distance and speed quite like the male brain does. Male don't understand feelings and emotions. And, you know, we're just left brain as the studies have shown. And that's why, you know, there will be somebody cross the road a hundred yards in front of you. And they're like, ah! It's like, what? It, but once you have kids, it's that, ah! They throw that arm out, right? Am I the only one this has ever happened to? And it's like, what is it? What is it? That car, I'm like, that's 100 yards down the road. They have plenty of time, you know. So don't be, a, be alarmed at any fear. No, uh, but I think actually what he's saying is not so much that. I think it's like you don't have to panic and, and live a life of fear. You do not because you're following that pattern. And God has proven himself through these women of old. Even, hey, hey, even when their husband did stupid stuff like Abraham did a few times, God is going to take care of you. You're precious in his sight. Okay, now I've got to wrap this up. Now we just have a tiny bit of time spent on the husbands because we're out of time. <laughs> actually, actually, uh, Peter only spends a little bit of time on the men because here's what happens. We could take a whole nother week for this. Talks about the husband's behavior. Because in chapter, I mean, in verse 7, it says, likewise, well, there it is again. So we're likewise. And by the way, when Paul's teaching this in Ephesians 5, I didn't put this verse up there, and he talks about wives be subject to your husband and submit. Right before that, he says that we are to be submitting one to the other, all of us submitting to each other and wives. He doesn't even say it in that verse. He literally says wives to your own husband. So there's a mutual uh, submitting and there's a mutual accountability that we have to each other. Uh, but this is the roles, relationship, and arrangement that God has for the home. But he says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. And I will tell you what's just happened there. With just a few words, Peter has given us more than we can even imagine. Right there, guys. 
Now, when he says live with your wife, doesn't mean that you just have the same address. It doesn't mean that you sleep under the same roof. It means to be closely aligned, to share your life with her. It means that you are dwelling with her. You are sharing. This is what intimacy is all about, is a sharing of the deepest parts of yourself. That's what he's talking about, men. Somebody says, live with your wife. Well, I live with her. Yeah, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about something much, much deeper than that. There's equal responsibility for the husbands here. Uh, likewise. And then he says, live with him. Uh, you're sharing everything. And then he says, know her. Know her? Yeah. You know your, do you know your wife? Yeah, I know her. That's her right over there. At least I think that's her. Looks like her. It doesn't mean that you just know who she is. This is talking about a deep knowledge that you know her deeper needs and care about them. Now the men are, are, are struggling. <laughs> This is that what I mean, true intimacy. You share your heart and you truly become one. You not only nurture and provide and, and, and are responsible before God, but you work, and it is work to know and to understand her. Now, some of you might be saying, I'm praying for a miracle from God because there is no human being on earth. Only God himself could understand her. Hey, that's not a bad prayer. Pray it. And that's why God says that, okay, is your lifetime assignment to know her. That you live with her according to knowledge. That you live with her in an understanding way. You can translate that either way. In an understanding, where you understand, where you know. Um, you dwell with her and you know her by spending time. You've got, you can't do this, men, unless you're spending time. Personal time that you're focused on her. I didn't say this was easy, okay? <laughs> you know her needs and you know the needs of the home. And the wife who walks with God, I think, longs for this. Many die longing for it. There are a few things that make a woman feel more secure than knowing that her husband really knows her and really cares. All right, and consider the pressure she's under. We get enough discouragement from the world and from the workplace. Let's work to make our homes a safe place where we can refresh and we can build each other up. Amen? And then he says a biggie. He says, honor her. Honor. All right, I know I've got to wrap this up. I said I wasn't going to preach as long as I did last week, and ugh, I'm doing it again. Oh, it's probably because you need it, and the Lord knew that. I don't know. You're probably getting off easy compared to what we need. I don't know. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman. Showing honor. That whole thing of honor is, is so much more than just, good, uh, than, than just good manners. Look at that verse 7. Show honor. Show honor. When you honor something, that means you place incredible value and worth on her. Remember how we used to learn from Gary Smalley about honor, about he had that violin passing through the crowd and, and all of a sudden said, that's a Stradivarius, it's worth over 100,000 bucks. 
100,000 bucks, you know, 100,000 bucks. You know what 100,000 bucks is? It's what you get when you cross 50 deer with 50 pig, 100,000 bucks. But anyway, that's one of his jokes, see, and I thought it was funny. But, um, but anyway, you remember talked about how that whenever he told people that that, that, that thing is worth over $100,000, all of a sudden they were like, oh, I'm holding something that valuable in my hands. Oh. And, and that's the way you do is, and I try to do that, uh, you know, because I'm like, oh, I can't believe, I can't believe that we're together. Oh. And, and, you know, you wake up in the morning, you want to honor your wife, and you're like, oh, be sure you breathe in instead of out, okay? And it won't be very honoring. Yeah, it's just like honor that you're such valuable. I want to handle you with care. That's what it means to honor. And that's what he's saying, to honor her, it says, as the weaker vessel. Now, I think you understand that this is talking about the physical body. The vessel is something that, that can be like a piece of, uh, of, of uh, pottery or anything like that. That's the vessel. And he's not saying weakness of character or of anything else or spiritually weaker. It's, it's about the physical body. And it is just generally true, not 100%, but generally true. Most women uh, are not as physically strong as, as men. It's just the way it is. It's just the way we're made, okay? And so that it's, it's generally true. So that's what he's saying is you need to show more honor to her because of that. And you better not, because you're bigger and stronger than her, use that as a means to bully her. That's the opposite of honoring, or one of the opposites. That you don't bully her around. And I'm not impressed with a man that bullies his wife around. You're bigger than her. And he's saying that because you have a stronger physical vessel, you could bully her around, but you better not, God says. In fact, you better give her even more honor than you give your own body and take care of her and listen to her and value her because this is the way he set it up. And, but yet you realize something that she is, even though she has a weaker physical body, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. Don't miss that. You are co-heirs, joint heirs, equal heirs of the grace and as, we live in, as we're living under grace, the grace of life, the grace that God gives that brings salvation, as we're living under that, equal. Equal. We have different roles, different responsibilities, but equal value. Equal heirs. When it comes to that forever kingdom of God, equal completely. Understand that. Now, consequences. This last part's interesting. That your prayers may not be hindered. That always kind of like, wow. Now the word hinder literally means to cut in on the stride. You guys cross country team. You know what happens if you've got a good stride going. And someone kind of comes in and cuts in on you. It trips you up. That's basically what he's saying. If you're not going to get and work and value your relationship with your wife. And if you mistreat her. God says, i got a problem with you. And as far as our fellowship and our communication, you're going to trip up. This is how serious God takes this men. Now, you want to see why in one verse he gives the men a little bit more responsibility than he does the women. Because God is saying that you don't do this, your prayers will be hindered. Your fellowship with me, your prayers together as a family. Our relationship, God's saying, is going to be, uh, is going to stumble. We're going to be out of fellowship. And so, are you ready to take it home? Let's do it. First of all, and we're going we're to kind of digest a little bit tonight, so I hope you'll just come back for a little while tonight.
We're going to digest it just a little bit. Not, 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 you know, maybe 30 minutes, okay? I'm telling you that. You hear me now and believe me later, okay? So take home. Married, what's your reaction as you hear this? This is kind of what we'll talk about tonight. What's your reaction? How could this impact your life and your marriage? How could it? Remember, instead of spending all of our time trying to change our mate, let's just focus on me being what it says I'm to be. And you trust God to work in their life, right? You can only change you. If you're single and say, man, it's not having to do with me. You know, yeah, it does. Because you might, all, might not always be single. And if you're to the age where you say, well, I'm not going through that again, you can still use your wisdom and knowledge to help those who are coming behind you. But let's just say you're single. How should this shape your attitude and actions toward dating? I want to tell you, if you follow the pattern of our culture, you're going to start building into your life a lot of baggage that's going to handicap you when you do get married. If you follow our culture, a lot of bad habits, a lot of bad stuff. It's set up for failure. Uh, I could go on and on on that, believe me. Remind me to bring that back up tonight. But how should this shape your attitude and actions toward dating? How should it help you prepare for marriage later on? If you're divorcing by yourself, how would you prepare now for it to be different this next time? If you're a young person or if you've never been married, how can I prepare myself to be what I'm supposed to be now so that it, it makes a, uh, things easier then? These are things to think about, as well as we look to Christ, who submitted himself to the Father, who honored and valued us. He's all of it, isn't he? And gave, the, gave himself for us. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you again.